Hello, and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Raj Jana. Raj is an impact-driven entrepreneur, podcast host, and keynote speaker who's passionate about using capitalism and business as a vehicle to make the world a brighter place. He's been featured in Inc., Entrepreneur, and Forbes magazine while mentored directly by Shark Damon John. After his mentor died of a heart attack just three months short of her retirement, Raj felt compelled to step up and do something meaningful to challenge conventional ways of thinking. So he launched Java Press Coffee Company, a lifestyle brand that helps people use coffee to live happier lives by transferring ordinary coffee rituals into extraordinary daily experiences. Rod scaled his company from a tiny side hustle into a seven-figure brand in less than a year. Not a small feat. We cover a lot in this interview, so tune in to my wide-ranging, impactful conversation with Raj Jana. Raj, welcome to South Asian Stories. Dude, super excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are very, very excited to have you on. Um, and we've known each other for a long time. We both uh, went to the University of Texas at Austin, you know, have uh, had a lot of great experiences. And, you know, you have been absolutely crushing it the past few years. I've followed your journey, um, you know, from graduating UT, you know, through, through being an engineer, through starting your company and all this great stuff. So there's good, I think this is going to be an amazing, amazing conversation. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. And I really just want to start from the beginning, man. You know, so much of our, uh, so much of our lives has come down to how we grew up. So I just want to talk to me about where you grew up and, and what was your, what was your childhood like? Take us back. Absolutely, man. Well, firstly, I'm grateful to be here. Um, so I appreciate uh, the kind words. Um, so childhood, I was born and raised in the Northeast, so right around the Boston area. Um, lived in Boston, or around the Boston area until I was seven. And then my parents, my dad had an expat assignment in India. So we actually ended up moving to Gujarat. And I lived there until the sixth grade. Um, you know, just being there and I pretty much had my, I was a part of an international school there, met a lot of people, started playing tennis there. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Just, it, it opened my mind a lot growing up, you know, just experiencing a different culture coming from the States. And then, and then we moved back to, to the U S when I was in the sixth grade and I went to school in Texas. So in Houston, and I just remember acclimating from, you know, going from Boston to India and then having to fit in there and then going from India back to uh, the States and then having to kind of refit back in. Um, so that was a, a fun experience. But, uh, but yeah, and then I lived in Houston from the sixth grade. Uh, it pretty much I for all intents and purposes, I consider myself to be Houstonian. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I pretty much had all my childhood or at least my formative years of uh my teens and and my high school years, and then from there, as you mentioned, you know, we went to school in in Austin, um, and yeah, man. So I'm a for all intents and purposes, I am from Texas, and I am so, proud of it. So I love that that you you went to India and you came back and you had to readjust yourself to the to the culture and community. Any stories yeah. that come to mind that you that that you think about was particularly funny or uh, you know eye opening for you as you transitioned to India or coming back? 
It's hmm, a good question. Um, you know, I don't think a lot about my time in India. It's kind of like it all comes together as a blur. Sure. Um, sure. But I, I do remember, you know, when I when I came to India, I was in I want to say the first or second grade, and I thought it was really funny because, you know, everyone there was from India, born born and raised in India, and I'm like this kind of like transplant from the States who had a weird accent <laughs> and you know, like, I mean, I was, I was a fascinating, I, I felt like a specimen in a way. Um, kind of cool though. Everybody wanted to hang out with me. Everybody wanted to be my friend and everyone had a fascination with Western culture, especially in the, you know, this was in the nineties. Um, and so, you know, there was this giant fascination. Uh, I remember having to, to learn Hindi and, you know, my, my family's Tamil. And so, you know, I had to learn to, to read and write Hindi. I had to learn to speak it. And um, so that whole thing, I think, was just such a fascinating new experience. Um, so I don't know if I can pick one particular story that was that would stand out over another. Just sure. beyond the fact that uh, I just felt different. Yeah. Um, even though I had the same skin color, even though I, I looked Indian, I didn't feel Indian when I first moved there. And I think there was a part of me that kept wanting to cling on to my Americanness, which added more awkwardness as I was getting acclimated over time. But then my accent went away. I eventually got a pretty thick Indian accent. Uh, so coming back to the U.S. with a thick Indian accent, um, it was kind of funny in the beginning because – the same fascination that people had in India with me being American, it, that wasn't reciprocated the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so like me coming back to the States, you know, uh, back in the early 2000s, and this was right around when 9-11 happened. Um, and so, you know, coming back in with an Indian accent, I, I remember having to like force myself to have a pretty like go back to my American accent. Like I was trying really hard. And, uh, and so that definitely caused some pretty interesting conversations with people. Um, but nothing I couldn't handle. I mean, it was, it was fun coming back and seeing that everything, nothing really changed. Sure. Um, I think that especially in those years, I mean, I stayed in India for four years. I think the way the States was then, like things were just moving a lot slower now with the age of the internet and, and, and just everything that's been happening. I mean, I think that times are changing a lot faster than they were 10, 15 years ago. And so I remember coming back and I didn't feel like anything was really different. Like I just felt like I was coming back in. I took some time to be away, came back. I started playing sports immediately. So I made friends and I was competing and, uh, you know, but, and, and because I had that flavor and that taste of the States before I went to India, I kind of knew how to get acclimated again. Yeah. I think it was more fun for me to go from the States to India than go from India back to the States. Got it. Got it. And so you came back and you mentioned, you know, you got really into tennis and, and, you know, at be, being, playing sports and being an athlete was important to you. How did that change yeah. you? How did that define you? Because I know my experience playing sports, or at least team sports, um, you really learn how to win and you really learn how to lose. Did you have the same experience? I'll be honest. I hated team sports growing up um, for that very reason. Sure. Um, you know, like I played almost every sport when I was a kid and I ended up picking tennis because it was me and me only on the court. Yeah. So if I lost, it was on me. If I won, it was on me. And I just love that accountability. And I think that's bled into just about everything in my life. Um, but 
it, it did define me. I mean, it gave me an identity. It gave me something to cling to. It gave me something to work towards. It it taught me goals. It taught me hard work. It taught me discipline. Um, I made friends. It When I won, I felt good. And when I got to college, we started playing team tennis. So it was – I still had an element of team, but – I had to be the one on the court to win and play and show up. And so I think that sports in general uh, for my for my younger years were, were so important. I was really competitive. I mean, I was competing all over Texas and, you know, I was playing competitively and ranked high in the state. And, you know, I think that I took that with me everywhere. And it took me a long time to sort of lose that identity. I don't even know if I've still lost it. Like, I'm not an athlete now. I don't play tennis anymore. But there are elements of being an athlete that I try to aspire by, like whether it's the confidence or the tenacity or or just something to strive towards. I mean, that's always stuck with me. Um, and that's why I, I still believe that sports are probably one of the biggest um, developers for anybody, especially at a young age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it's so important, you know, in, in addition to school and in addition to everything to have some sort of competitive drive like baked in to everything you do. I mean, after school, I'd go to practice and then after practice, I'd go back to school and it's just forced me to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that stuck with me a long time. And then, so you did tennis in high school, you, you, you did well, you went to UT um, and you, you studied engineering, right? Tell us about your, your path after that, because I think that is a very interesting story of, how you transition from being an engineer and in the in the corporate world to to entrepreneurship? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, remember when I graduated from UT? So I was a petroleum engineer. That was my I, I went to school for petroleum engineering, and I got a job with Chevron right out of school, and I was in New Orleans. And just to backtrack a little bit, when I was in college, I mean, you know this, but I founded my own fraternity Mm -hmm. alongside eight other individuals. Mm -hmm. And that alone, that experience of doing that in college was kind of my first taste of unofficial entrepreneurship. Like I didn't, I wasn't exchanging goods for money and I wasn't doing, but I was, I, I was responsible for rushing kids. I was responsible for growing an organization. I was responsible for running team meetings. I was responsible for, doing the marketing and and organizing events and and so I kind of got a taste for what starting something new would feel like and I got a taste for the pride that comes from seeing something you build do well and so when I went when I graduated college and I went to go work full time I think for the first time in my life I didn't have something to look forward to you know, like when I was in college, I had this this fraternity I built and it was so exhilarating and it was like everything was on me and I just had this sense of ownership that I felt when I played tennis in college and I feel like that was a part of my, like I when I got to college, I kind of replaced tennis with IND and then when I graduated college, I didn't have anything to replace my fraternity with and so when I started working, I just felt this giant emptiness. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was waking up, I was going to work, I I came home, I was waking up, going to work, I came home, like, and it was just, like, I just, I just saw the next, I wasn't fulfilled, you know, and at the time, I was, I was in a long distance relationship with my girlfriend, and, um, you know, I was in a lot of student debt, because, and I kind of, I covered my ass in, um, in school, and, um, 
you know, and it was just a lot of debt and just, it, I just wasn't happy. And I just didn't think that being in a job for the rest of my life was going to make me happy. Yeah. And so I started buying a couple courses online about, um, you know, I, I actually read my first book, uh, which I ran into at like an airport. Like I was just driving or like walking in and I was kind of thinking about everything and I saw this book and it was the four hour work week. And it was like, escape the nine to five, build your own life, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, that's my jam. <laughs> it <laughs> so, called to uh, you. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, cause it's like a, it's an attractive looking book. It's, you know, a four hour work week. That sounds interesting. But I picked it up and I remember reading it on the flight back and that opened my world. I mean, that was the first time that I had been exposed to concepts that were different than what my parents, my, my, my comfort circle, just my upbringing had taught me. You know, this is a guy who was retiring every three months and taking on all these amazing projects and learning and living a, a very fulfilling and abundant life on the on paper. Yeah. And, you know, so that kind of piqued my curiosity and my interest. And then I started realizing that there was so much I didn't know. My entire view of the world was based on such a narrow and limited uh, perspective that I had been brought up with. And so I started reading more and buying more books and listening to podcasts online. And I learned this entire world of online entrepreneurship where people are starting companies and teaching themselves how to be business owners and, and, and kind of buying courses. And it's like almost like this self-taught world out there that that's, that's available, especially in the age of the internet. And so that did it for me. And so I listened to a podcast, another different podcast uh, called smart passive income with a guy named Pat Flynn. And there was a, an episode with a guy named Dane Maxwell who started a course called The Foundation, which was about starting your own software company from scratch. And so I bought that course, um, paid for it, and I had a full-time job. So, you know, that was that was easy for me to do. I just kind of – I afforded it. I And I started implementing the course. And pretty much what the course taught was um, the course sold me on this idea of no money down. You don't need no coding. You don't need to know anything. You just, you know, I'll show you how to start a software business in six months. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I want that. So pretty much what the course taught was find a niche or an industry, um, find out what their biggest pains are by asking them what their biggest pains are. Once you validate those pains across multiple people, then develop a solution that fixes those pains and then get them to fund the development because it's a pain that hurts so much. So pretty much you're playing middleman and you're just taking initiative. Yeah. So my first niche that I picked was breweries because I loved craft breweries. I loved the craft brewing industry. I always loved visiting new breweries when I went to different cities and I thought it'd be a fun passion project. And that's what I treated it as. And so um, I started calling. I think I cold called close to about 3,000 breweries during lunch actually. Like I'd go sit in my car and I would just cold call different breweries around the country and um, I, talked, I talked to a lot of people and I pretty much heard them vent. I heard them, you know, they, they were just sharing all these things about what they hated about their jobs. And sooner or later, I put together this amazing product. I, I built it out on, on like the course teaches you how to build like a, a sketched model and I put it on PowerPoint and I would show these people, get feedback. And, um, and then it was time for me to start asking them for money for development so I went back to them and I said, hey, look, I have the solution, but um, I'm taking on nine founding members to fund for development. Are you interested? Crickets across the board. <laughs> um, and uh, no one wanted to fund it. And I realized it's because no one had money. You know, these, these were people that had 
were working full time at one point in their lives. They were passionate home brewers at one point in their lives. And then they decided to plunge the same way I wanted to. So they emptied out their retirement funds, put it all into breweries, and they had no money to spend on development. And that was the first hard lesson I had. And, and that was a very humbling experience for me. It was, you know, I followed my passion in business and my passion screwed me. And, I, and so I remember then, you know, I was a little distraught and this was over a six month period. So this was November of 2014 to about May of 2015. And uh, at that point, I had committed to go to a conference that the foundation, which was the course I bought, was hosting in Cancun. And so uh, that June, I went to a live event in, in Cancun. I knew nobody. I was just kind of like I needed a refresh. I was not happy. I was kind of discouraged by this initial failure. Mm -hmm. So I go to Cancun and, you know, it was my first time being in an entrepreneurial setting with everybody who was an entrepreneur or aspiring to be an entrepreneur. And the energy was amazing. And at that event, I met an individual who teaches people how to sell products online. And he was successfully selling products online and he was doing really well. And immediately I, I kind of got curious and I got my hopes up again and I pretty much paid him to be my mentor. So I paid him to be my mentor and he taught me how to uh, source products, uh, find product ideas, source products, build a, a brand, you know, start an LLC, all these things that are pretty basic things in entrepreneurship, but he taught me how to do it. Um, so then by September of 2015, that's when I launched our first product, which is a manual coffee grinder for Java Press. And so September, so that was June 2015 when I went to Cancun. September 2015, I launched Java Press. And, uh, you know, within a couple months, man, like we were making sales. Like, you know, things were going well. Um, you know, I wasn't, but I wasn't as focused as I think I wanted to be. Um, and I was kind of just enjoying this idea of things working. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I had gone through all these burns over the last year and finally I was like, oh man, this is awesome. I'm making money online. Even if it was just, you know, uh, a couple hundred bucks a month, like it was something for me. Yeah. And I was hopeful. Um, and then, so I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing great. And, um, that's when things started getting crazy for me. Um, I remember that January I, I had a, I had a mentor who worked, you know, he was one of my first mentors at work. And we were really close and he was kind of, he was a geologist. I was a petroleum engineer. So we worked on the same projects together and he would kind of show me the ropes and how to be in corporate and all that. And I remember, um, you know, he was pretty close to retirement. He'd worked 37 years for the same company in the same part of South Louisiana. I mean, he was in the same role. I mean, he was just a, a lifer is what we used to call them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he spent his entire career with the same company and he was three months away from retirement and, uh, he had a heart attack and died. Um, three months away from retirement. And I, I remember, I distinctly remember the day I got that email because I was so mad. And I don't even know who I was mad at, to be honest. Like, I don't know if I was mad at myself or if I was mad at, like, God or if I was, I don't, I didn't know. I, I, didn't, I just didn't think that, I, I was so shocked at just something like that could even happen. You know, because that's what we're taught. We're taught to 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 get the grades, to to graduate, to get the job, to get married, to get the house, to have the kids, to work a long, successful career and then retire and then enjoy your life. And for the first time in my life, I had seen that exact formula fail somebody that mattered a lot to me. Sure, sure. And it was like this earth shattering realization. I was like, oh, my God, like 
everyone around me is doing this. I mean, my dad, and, and similar to most immigrant families, I mean, my father came he came to the U.S. with 60 bucks in his pocket, you know? And I'm sure your your family has a similar story, Samir. Like, you know, they just come here with nothing. They work their entire lives to build something for their families. And that was my dad's story. He worked his entire life. He worked his way up corporate. And and just the idea of something like what happened to my mentor, happening to my dad, just freaked me out. And uh, I think that's the moment I decided that I didn't care what was going to happen. I was going to make this entrepreneurship thing work. Yeah. And I just doubled down, man. I mean, I woke up at 5 a.m., uh, between 5 and 7 a.m., I would read, learn, foster my knowledge. I would uh, exercise. I'd have positive habits like meditation and visualization and affirmation. And I just I, – I mean I paid for mentors. And um, and then after work, I would hustle, hustle, hustle to get my business going. And man, you know, and, and I was just – I was desperate. I, I had to make this work. I wanted to make this work. And, um, you know, and then seven months later – I remember October of 20, yeah, October of 2016. So this happened in January 2016. October of 2016, we were doing six figures a month in sales. Um, and uh, and I was like just gunning, man. Like I was gunning. And I remember getting to that point too, and then I started burning out. And I didn't know why I was burning out. You know, I was working so much, and I was so, and the company was doing well, and but for some reason I wasn't happy. You know, I was paying off my – at that point, I'd paid off my student debt. Um, you know, I was sending money home every month, and I was taking care of my parents. And um, I was still doing long distance with Vinny, my girlfriend. And um, But I was just unhappy. I just felt like I was working, working, working. I, I thought money was my goal, and um, it money didn't do anything for me. It just, it just removed the stresses in life that I had, but it didn't, it didn't make me fulfilled. And, um, and at that point I went to another conference, uh, it was in Denver and it was another conference I didn't know anyone at, but I just, I wanted to go and I just feel like it was the right decision. And so I went out there and I heard a talk from this guy named Yannick Silver, who's still one of my mentors now. And, um, he had this, uh, this concept that he was teaching called evolved enterprise, which is the idea of doing good through business. And it was the first time I'd really heard of, I mean, I'd heard of like Tom's and, you know, all these other social enterprises that are doing good in the world through business. And, um, but I never really knew anything about the concept. And I remember hearing Yannick talk about it for the first time in my life. And, um, I was like so shocked at it. And then he gave me a copy of his book, which he was launching at the time. I took the, I, I literally went on the plane back. I read the entire book in like one night and I was just like, dude, I'm hooked. So then I reached out to Yannick and I was like, Yannick, I need you to help me, man. Like I need what you have. Um, so then later that month, he pretty much what we, the whole month I pretty much like stepped away from business and I just went down the journey of trying to figure out why I was doing what I was doing, you know, why I had become successful so fast. Like I, I was forced to really dig deep and figure out why. Yeah. Because, you know, I think most people in life were so busy doing, we're not really busy being like we don't take any time to just slow down and reflect and and really understand like and and infuse intention into what we do and that was me for the longest time i was just execute 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 life is short execute 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 and i never took the time to just think 
So that was the first time I did that, and that's when I realized why I'd become successful, the role that Jerry, my mentor's passing, had had on my own journey, um, why I was so passionate about helping people, and and why the products we were launching were were doing so well, and and it all made sense, and and that's when we changed the mission of the company from um, just wanting to sell coffee products to wanting to help people use coffee to live happier lives. Yeah, and that's when that. the mission changed, the brand changed, the mantra changed, my own relationship with my company changed. That's when the Stay Grounded philosophy was born. That's when we started just changing the product experience. We started communicating with customers differently. I started communicating with my employees differently. I started communicating with my family differently, my friends, my girlfriend. Everything changed for me. And that year in 2017, uh, after all these changes, we ended up growing the company 800%. Wow. And um, wow. Congratulations. from the previous year. And um and that year I launched the podcast and 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 that's been another journey and um and yeah man I mean it's just been such a privilege and such a such an amazing last couple of years just going through the ups and downs and experiencing just seeing what what I can do. Um you know cuz I I remember when I was working full time like just felt like I was capped. Like it doesn't matter how much I worked or what I did, I just felt like there was a ceiling, and um, I don't know with with Java Press and Stay Grounded and just being an entrepreneur, I just feel so liberated, and it goes back to those tennis playing days of everything being in my hands, and you know, like if I wanted to win, I have the capacity to, and yeah, and if and the only thing getting in the way is my fear, and you know, and then that and that's that's just a journey in itself is trying to see what scares you and then diving in anyways and figuring it out and then making mistakes and learning from them and, and having to navigate and, and manage myself. And I don't know, it's just been an amazing spiritual, um, just like uh, just impactful. I mean, it's just been an amazing journey for me. And, um, and I'm, I feel like I'm growing and learning something new every day, man. And, that's been my story in a nutshell. I know I kind of went off on a tangent. No, but, uh. that is amazing. No, I, I wanted to let you go because there's – and I just – Raj, I have so many things I want to unpack in that because, you know, you mentioned things like that a lot a lot of people think about and struggle with. So I want to start with the first thing that, that came to mind when you were talking yeah. about um, – when you were stuck in the rut and you were trying to figure out, hey, I started with a brewery, then I, you know, got some ideas of, of a business to start. One of the things, thing, one of the things I think you do different from a lot of people is you realized your weaknesses and you decided to pay for mentorship or pay for tutelage or or pay for books that you that taught you, you know, what you needed to do. I think paying for information, something you know our community struggles with, right? Because, yeah, <laughs> you know, if it's not free, then it's not worth it to a lot of people. So, um, you know, I think I want to, I want to touch the base on how, how you, you develop that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So for me, me, um, one, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, right. So if you're paying for free, then there's a reason it's free. Um, but with me, I don't know, man, I, I just, I wanted change. And I recognized the importance of mentors in my life from a very young age. I mean, even tennis, like I paid for coaches, right? Like, I mean, I, I know the power that a good coach can have in my life. And I, I think I just wanted, I, I was ready to invest. And I was skeptical, don't get me wrong. I remember the first course I bought, I was really skeptical. Um, but 
I think the first course I bought, I grew so much so fast as a result. And it spurred so much action from me in such a short period of time that I was kind of sold on this idea that um, I will. I wasn't paying for information. I was paying for speed. And yeah. like I just wanted to get it fast because I recognized that like I was I knew I was going to fail. Like I think I just kind of got to this point where, you know, like I mean, I had a pretty and I, I, I had a really, really, really big ego when I first started. And I thought that I would be able to figure everything else out on my own. And I just realized that my ego wasn't getting me what I wanted. Like I just wasn't. So I don't know, man, it just it just turned into this like, you know, I'm going to pay for somebody to just teach me and I'm going to be open to learning. And I know that there's people out there that know more than I do. And I just think that it was that understanding and that and that acceptance. Um, I know I'm good at a lot of things, but I do know that there's and beca- and, you know, I think that's what it is. I think when you know you're good at something like when you know you're like you have certain gifts, you start to see that other people have gifts, too. Right. And so, like, I think the first step is for me was really just being confident in my own abilities, like being confident in my own abilities to like, all right, like when I was in college, like I did this thing, this fraternity thing. I don't I knew nothing about starting fraternity, but I figured it out and I did it. So I had the confidence in my ability to figure it out as long as I had a blueprint, as long as I had someone ahead of me to just pave the way and show me how to do it. And so I think that confidence gave me um or just know, that knowing gave me the confidence to invest mm-hmm. in a course mm-hmm. and put and put my money where my mouth was and see what I could do. And honestly, if, if six months later it didn't work, whatever. I mean, that was six months, right? Like, uh, what was I going to do in the meantime? Watch Netflix <laughs> after work? Like, like what was I going to do? I was just going to go down the same path. So it was a risk I was willing to take. And, um, and yeah, and that risk paid off. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was extremely interesting, and I want to dive into a little bit more, is pivot points, right? Mm. The pivot points of your of your, your mentor, unfortunately, passing away that spurred you into action and made you work really, really hard on your on your side hustle that made you grow, you know, to six figures. Then the yeah. second pivot point of you know, of going to these conferences, uh, you know, t- t- finding your mentor and, and seeing, hey, how do we pivot from a functional benefit to an emotional benefit for our company? Talk to me about those pivot points. Like, are those some things that you think happened just because by chance, serendipity, or was it something that you realized, you know, your gut, like intuition, like, this is something I need to change at this point? I think that the first time anybody experiences a pivot, it is serendipity. Yep. Um, cause I think that we're so good at being on autopilot just as a human species, not even South Asian, just in general. Um, we're so good at just being on autopilot, like waking up, doing the things wake, like, it's just like, it's really easy. So the second something crazy happens in your life that forces you to reexamine what's going on in front of you is almost an opportunity for you to start noticing and paying attention to everything else that's happening in your life. So if I wouldn't have had that first pivot, I don't think I would have had the second one. Yep. The first one opened my eyes. It was like, oh my God, this is real. Like I'm on autopilot. I need to get myself off of autopilot if I want something different. And so the second that happened and I started working, 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 I realized it again. There was something missing. But that's because I had been brought off of autopilot and forced to examine and look at myself from a third-party perspective because of that first experience. So – 
I think the first one is definitely like shock therapy. Like you just kind of like, it's <laughs> yeah. just, you kind of just feel it. And then you're like, oh wow, like I felt that once. It's almost like you get your eyes open in one area of life and now all of a sudden you can see everything else a little more clear. Right. Um, and uh, I think that's how it happened for me. Like that one experience opened my eyes to everything else. And I was, I noticed signs and things that whether the universe or God or whatever you believe in was was telling me. Like I just started noticing it. I was like, you know what, Raj, you're not feeling happy right now. Why is that? And it, it, I started getting – and then all of a sudden, it, I didn't take it as a coincidence that I met a guy who gave me a book on how to infuse more fulfillment into my business. <laughs> like I didn't take that as a as – a, like that was just me noticing. I could have easily gone to that conference – and if I wouldn't have had these experiences in the past, I would have just been like, oh, great information. I'm not going to apply it in my life or, oh, yeah, that's awesome information. But I wouldn't have been able to connect the dots unless I was looking for dots to connect. Yeah, sure. And sure. so I think that – I think it's it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing. Like the first time you have to be open. But once you're opened, I think signs are everywhere, man. You're just – as long as you're paying attention, you're going to see things. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, it's the whole thing of like you, when you look back at your life, you see how the dots are connected. But when you look forward, you don't know what the path is until you get better about understanding what are the right signs. And um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things that you push uh, as, as part of Stay Grounded and, and, and your company and your mission is uh, living your extraordinary life, your extraordinary yeah. living. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means to you, your definition, and how someone or how do you see someone applying that to their life? Mm, great question, man. Um, so to me, living an extraordinary life is about showing up fully in everything you do. It's about not being scared of the good and the bad. It's about, it's about literally chasing excitement. And, and excitement comes in so many different forms. It comes through our relationships. It comes through our work. It comes through our families. It comes through business. It comes through hobbies. It comes through, uh, it, it just comes through on the other side of fear. So for me, living an extraordinary life is living with intention. So being purposeful about what you're doing and why you're doing it, not wasting time, acting in the face of fear and just being abundant, giving back, changing, living this one life we've got with everything we've got because you've only got one life to live. And, you know, I got that realization pretty early on from my mentor. And I've seen my my family, I've seen the people around me live life just as if they've got 10 lives to live. And that's just not the case. I think that we all have an ability to infuse passion into everything, whether it's coffee. I mean, that's one thing Java Press does. Java Press, we help people use something as simple as coffee to to be a more passionate experience, like getting more passionate about the beans or being more intentional about the farmers, learning about the farmers, connecting with people or through the podcast. It's exploring these ideas around love, forgiveness, happiness, acceptance, vulnerability, um, purpose, uh, I mean, like you just when you start to experience every range of emotion, when you start to not fear sadness, and when you when you when you when you start to crave fulfillment, and when you start to crave these emotions, I think you're living life in a way that most people don't. And I think that, and I've been living, and I'm and I'm living this life now, and I'm experiencing how good it feels to just live. Like every single day, man, I wake up and I text people that I love them. 
Like that's such a simple thing that we can do. Everybody can do that. Yeah. Like there's so many people that you can just get back in touch with that you haven't talked to in a long time or say sorry to that, that, that you've, that you've broken bridges with in the past or, or tell your parents you love them. I mean, like, like I, every single day I text my mom and my dad and I tell them how grateful I am for them. Like these are small things that are a part of just living that we don't do. And I think that doing this unlocks so much extraordinary in life. Because the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And so if you can start to infuse passion, purpose, integrity, gratitude, like appreciation, uh, contagious energy, happiness, joy, abundance, giving into all these little things we already do, I just think it's going to unlock so much more. And I think that, damn, dude, it's just such a better way to live. Yeah. And I think that's all a choice. You don't have to have money to live that way. You don't have to have your dream job to live that way. I think it's a choice of how you choose to wake up, how you choose to show up, and that's in everybody's power. And that's what I really believe is the key to living an extraordinary life is just taking ownership for the life you want to create. And that doesn't matter where you are or where you start. Man, you that that was amazing. Um, and and one of the things I love, Raj, is the optimism, the positivity you infuse in in uh in how you approach life and your your definition of extraordinary living but talk to me about this um a lot of people listening me included i'm sure you as well have gone through those tough days you know the yeah. days where the business isn't going well or a relationship isn't going as, as as good as you hoped or some things are going on with your family and it's just a very you're in a tough spot a tough situation a tough state of mind how does what what do you do for yourself to get yourself back to homeostasis or get yourself back to level or get yourself back to being okay when you're going through those tough things, when you can't be extraordinary, but you just want to be ordinary for a day and and you just have a tough time getting there. Um, one, even when you're being ordinary, you are extraordinary. That's That was my first answer. I mean, you don't have to be ordinary. You already are. Or you don't have to be extraordinary. You already are. Um, so... I think that's the key thing. Like being extraordinary is not like something you do. It's just something you be. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to connect back with what's truly important in life is just gratitude, man. Like, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, the other day, you know, and I've, this year has been a hard year in business, like lots of ups and downs, like unanticipated changes and, and, and me having to maneuver and, and change. And, and I was thinking about this, you know, if three years ago you'd have told me I am sitting right here right now having this conversation with you about all this, the, the, the path I've taken, I would have called you crazy. <laughs> and two, if three years ago you would have told me that I'd be dealing with the problems I am right now, I would have been so excited. Three years ago, if you would have told me, hey, Raj, you're going to be dealing with this problem in your business, I would have been like, man, that means I made it. And I would have been excited. And so when you think about it from that perspective, man, like the problems you're dealing with right now um, are almost things that you would have been grateful to experience three years ago. And I feel that every single day. And if me, I have a daily gratitude practice. I wake up and I write down, I do two things actually. I write down three things I'm grateful for. And then I pick one of those things and I write down three reasons why I'm grateful for one of those things. And every single day, when you start to see even the crappy things in life, 
through the lens of gratitude, there's nothing that can get in your way. Like, there's nothing that can upset you. You know, like, the fact that, like, even if it's a fight in your relationship, like, you know what? I'm grateful I have love. I'm grateful I have somebody who is passionate enough to actually argue with me as opposed to being indifferent. I'm grateful that I have somebody that I can have honest conversations with that even spark disagreements. Like, that's such, that's, that's just a perspective shift. That has nothing to do with, the situation's the same. It's just the lens that you can choose to look at it through. Yeah. You know, if you're going through, um, and I was having a, one of my, uh, I just had somebody on my, uh, on my podcast, her name is Danette. And, um, she, you know, she lost her child during, uh, during pregnancy. And, and we were talking about being this very concept of being like grateful during the bad. And, and, and she, and her perspective floored me. I mean, think about this. If somebody lost a child during pregnancy, like it's a sad, sad, sad experience. But she was looking at it through the lens of gratitude and she was like, you know what? Like I had a hospital that he died in. Most people don't even have hospitals that they can have their children born inside. I mean, most people don't even have access to healthcare. And, you know, like there was like, it's, it's, it's like the lessons that she's learned because of that experience, the, the people's lives that she's been able to change because of her baby boy that she lost. I mean, like. Choosing to see even the crappy stuff in life through the lens of gratitude is a choice. Yeah. And I think that everybody has that choice. It may not be, it may not be easy right out the gate, but, you know, I just think that, um, I just think living through the lens of appreciation, man, is just so much, just so much, feels so much better. Yeah. And even when you're going through the tough times, it just feels better. You're just like, you know what? Like, I'm not alone. Maybe, maybe that's what you're grateful for when you're going through a tough time. It's like, I'm not alone. I've got friends. I've got family. You know, I've got a, I've got, I've got, you know, I've, I've, I've got things. Like, you've got more than other people out there. And I think that one thing always anchors me, even though I'm going through good or bad times. I think that's always my anchor is just, um, there's people out there who have it a lot worse. And, um, I'm grateful for everything I have, the good and the bad. And coincidentally, that allows the bad to pass with, it's almost like you're surrendering to it. Like you're not fighting it. You're just like, you know what? Like this is happening. I'm going to experience it. And I think it's okay to experience, you know, those emotions that we label as bad, like sadness or disappointment. I mean, we have these emotions for a reason, man. And experiencing them is just a part of life. But, and I think experiencing them fills you with gratitude because I think after you feel sad, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you feel better. Like Mm -hmm. you almost like you feel like a sense of connection. Catharsis, right. It's meditative almost, or it's like, it's, it's, it is appreciation. Like in, in that cathartic feeling is almost like the same feeling you feel when you feel appreciation. It's like, God, I'm really glad I cried that out. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, like it's, it's, it's always going back to that. So anyways, um, that's, that's how I go about doing it. And, um, I don't know, it, it's not always easy and I do have my tough days and I do have my down days, but just breathing, man. Yeah. Breathing is another one. <laughs> yeah. For sure. It gets you, gets you back. And I, and I just, I a hundred percent agree with you, Raj, that, you know, those are the small things that 
people, I, for me at least, I learned just like as I got older and I got like what is really important to me and even my, my bad days and like things that I struggle with, you know, compared to some of the things I know some of my other friends or family or other people in the world have struggled, I'm like, what am I, like, come on, you know, this is, yeah. it's okay to be sad for for what you have right now or be, you know, upset, but think about what great things that they have and always flipping it on its head. I, I love that idea. Well, I think um, it's all about like, I mean, being grateful for what you have while being ambitious about what you want. And, you know, so like, I mean, we as, as especially people in, in the eating community are awful at comparisonitis. Yes. Like sure. we are really good at seeing someone else do really well and then judging ourselves based on what we don't have. And then we dwell on what we don't have and then we just attract more of what we don't have. And I think that that's why even though like you want more, if you want to change your life, that's great. And I think I think it's healthy to want change, to be to want to be better, to want something different. But combining that with an active practice of appreciating who you are, how far you've come, what you've got is, I think, the sweet spot. It's appreciating everything you've got with everything you've got while working with everything you've got for everything you want. Love it. Love it. You can put that in the quote book. There's, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of those uh, this today that uh, we'll we'll be uh, you know putting in the show notes. But I I, I want to touch on what you you mentioned before about this the Stay Grounded podcast and the number yeah. of people that you've talked to, um, you know, over the past year or so. Can you talk to us, Raj, about someone that sticks out to you or a story that sticks out to you? I know you may, uh, mentioned the, the, the lady uh, who lost uh, her childhood pregnancy, but any others that come to mind that really had an impact on you? Oh, my gosh, dude. Um, you're making it really hard on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> or just name one. Name one that comes to mind. I mean, they're all so good and so different. That's the thing. Um There was one actually, um, one conversation that I had with a woman. I remember, I don't remember which episode it was. I think it was episode like 41 or 42. It's a woman named Adamaris Mendoza. And we were talking about the ego in general. And I think she had one of the most insightful, um, just concepts or, or viewpoints around the ego. And it changed a lot for me. And and we were talking about like change and why people don't want to change and why it's so hard for people or why people who have been in shitty relationships keep attracting those relationships or why people who keep failing in one area of life keep failing in others or like why like patterns repeat. And we were, and we started talking about the ego and we were talking about fear and, and she told me that Raj, your ego doesn't want you to thrive it just wants you to survive and that was so insightful and the way she said it was because Raj think about this let's say you've been dating a bunch of abusive people in your past your entire life and now all of a sudden you start dating somebody good well your ego knows that you can survive an abusive relationship because you have in the past so why would it take a chance on someone good when it knows that you can survive a bad relationship? 
you know how to survive a bad relationship. So your ego has no incentive to find someone good in your life. And when she said that, oh my God, man, like light bulbs were just firing off. Yeah, I can I mean, imagine. Like, I was just like, oh my God, that is so true. Like, and everything, I mean, think about even losing weight. Like, why do people, like, why is it so hard for people who haven't lost weight or like, or, 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 or like, or, you know, they're not in shape. Like, why is it so hard for them to get in shape and build that identity? Well, it's because the ego knows that, you know, staying fat, like, they don't know how they're going to be perceived if they're skinny. They don't know if they're even going to survive if they're skinny. They just know that they can survive when they're fat. And, like, I it just, I started seeing patterns in so many parts of my life. And so many repeat patterns, things I was doing over and over and over and over again. And it was just a, a life-changing conversation for me, um, that particular one. And, I mean, I feel like I have a life-changing conversation with every one of my guests, <laughs> um, which is a privilege in itself. And I'm so grateful. And, I mean, God, man, I could literally talk for hours. I, I would just if, – if you guys are interested, just go check out the – honestly, start anywhere. Just – Pick any of them because they're all amazing in their own way. Um, but that one in particular, man, was a was a pretty eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, <clears throat> I love it. And one of the things that um, I love about the, the the quote about ego is it made you reevaluate yourself. Can you talk about, Raj, like some of the things that you said you were doing over and over again that you had to catch yourself on, that you said, hey, why am I doing this? Or I never noticed it before and this is something I have to change. Hmm. Um, honestly, like, so I'd been trying to like, I'm not like, and I, and I, you know, I, I socially drink and all that stuff, but, um, you know, I'd been trying to actually just like take a break from drinking for a really long time. Um, and just like, I stop, like, I just wanted to see if I could just stop. And for the longest time, I'd always kind of like, like it'd be hard for me. Like I'd go out with friends and, you know, we'd be out and everybody's drinking and I'm like, all right, fine, I'll drink. And like, it was really easy for me to just fall into peer pressure right. for the longest time. Right. And I remember after I had this conversation, I realized it was because for the longest time in college, you know, like we'd, we'd go out, we'd socialize, I'd meet people, I'd mingle, but I'd always usually be under the influence, especially in the times that I'd go out, like, you know, 11 PM and beyond. And so like these times and these, these experiences that I had, like I was always socializing under the influence. And so when I started, even though I wanted to quit, it was hard for me to quit when I was around people because there was a part of my ego that realized my social survival was based on me having alcohol mm -hmm. and me needing to have a beer or a drink to like you know, loosen up and, and, and just have fun. And it wasn't until I had that conversation that I realized, oh my God, the reason I am having trouble with something as simple as just drinking in public is because my ego thinks I need to drink in order to socially survive. And I remember when I made that realization, that's when I was like, you know what? I don't want to drink. And I went for like, a month without drinking. Um, I was out with friends and I explained to them, hey man, I'm just taking a break right now. I did. And, um, and I got back into it later on. But for that month, man, 
I did it just to see if I could. And I did. But I was never able to do that until I had that conversation. Yeah. And it was game changer for me because yeah. now I realize everything is like that. Like, and it doesn't matter what part of my life, if there's something that I can't and I haven't been able to create and realize in my life, I know now it's because I am going through the same patterns that I've been because of something my ego believes I need to survive. And then it's just figuring out what is this thing that my ego thinks I need to survive? And is that real? Or is that just a construct that I'm creating to keep myself inside my comfort zone? And that's the conversation now. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, Roger, because I had the almost exact same experience. Um, you know, yours was about socially drinking. Mine was like, I have a massive sweet tooth. And, you mm. know, I loved ice cream and candy and chocolate and you name it, I would eat it. And then my wife, uh, you know, I mean, this was like about a month ago. She's like, Samir, could you go a month without having sweets? And I'm like, yeah, probably. Yeah. She's like, no, can you go a whole month and not touch it? And it's almost like what you said about it being liberating. And my ego is like, no, this is, you're the guy who likes sweets. Like, you know, it's like the first week, a week and a half was like pretty tough, not going to lie. But then after that, you're like, this doesn't define me. Like yeah. this. And it's almost like it's, of course, it was better for me health wise. But the more important thing was like, I broke something that was part of who I was, part of my ego and part of like, I don't, if I can choose to do this if I want to, just like you can choose to drink um, if you, if you want to, but it's not a crutch. It's not something mm. I lean back to and something that, uh, you know, is like I can break away from. So I, I, that, that story resonates a lot with me because I literally went through something very, very similar. It's called ego death, man. Um, ego you know, death. like you're, yeah. it's like these, these certain constructs that you believe to be a part of your story for so long. And that's, uh, that's the big thing, right? Like we all have stories we believe about ourselves. But once we start realizing that these stories are absolutely in our power to change, like we can rewrite any chapter at any given moment, yep. even your past, like we can rewrite the same past to feel a different way. And once I started, like once you realize that you're, your past, your present, your future, everything is a story that you're practicing. And that story is in your ability to change and rewrite and reform and add new characters and take characters out. And it's just all in your power to actually manipulate. You start to realize how much power you actually have. And when you start to realize how powerful you actually are, then all of these changes and all these things you want to make in your life come so much easier. Because you're not tied to a story that makes you believe one thing over another. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. The, re the rewriting your story, I think, is <clears throat> like something that I thought was game changing for me. Game changing. Um, and, and I think it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before of like our parents came here to support us and give us that, that, uh, that safety and strategy of like, this is what kind of life you need to be successful. And then, as you went down your own path and found out what worked for you and what gave you happiness and fulfillment, it's different for everyone. And it goes back to what you know you said about gratitude, appreciation, and my, my you know changing your ego. I don't have to be defined by what my parents think of me or what I think I should do for myself mm. or what's important to me. I get to write my own story, which I think is amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, I love that you said that, and uh, um, I want to say a story real quick. I remember. 
um, you know, my my parents, they've always supported me. They've been, but, you know, it's tough when you're going from a, a six-figure engineering job to selling coffee online. <laughs> um, like, it's not the most prestigious job in the world. Um, and so I think my parents really liked the idea of, like, my dad knew corporate America. Like, you know, like, it was just, like, traditional. Like, they were scared of me taking a risk and doing something different. And one thing I realized about my parents is that um, – your parents don't want what's best for you. They just want you to survive. Yep. And to them, existing and, – and so when I realized that that was the frame they were looking through, I stopped – like I honestly started understanding kind of where they were coming from a lot more. And I didn't take it personally. And that was a huge shift for me because then I had the power to start actually doing the things I needed to do. And I had the power to start deciding what I thought was most important for me, like what was best for me. And it gave me the confidence to start making those decisions. And I remember, you know, after Java Press had become like we were starting making six figures a month. And I remember, you know, like I like I didn't really tell my parents like I was just kind of hustling silently. Like I was doing my own thing and they knew I was doing this thing on the side, but they didn't know how successful it was or what I was doing. They were just I was just doing my own thing. And I remember when I changed my business, like when I revolt, when I revamped the mission and I started like living more passionately and intentionally and. Um, I remember my dad, so my dad has, uh, you know, he's been pushing off the things he's been wanting to do for a very long time. And, um, you know, my dad's always wanted to go kayaking. Like that was always his thing, but for, you know, his entire life, he just never did. And I remember asking him, he was like, I don't know. I just never did. Well, the more I started taking control and ownership of my life, the more I started showing my dad not to be scared of trusting him like myself and himself and because the fear that your parents have for you is actually a projected fear from them right like they're scared because they had to be scared like when they came to this country like they were fearful like they were in a new country with new laws not knowing how to do anything they had to push and survive like they were in survival mode the entire time so when you're going from survival mode to now seeing your kids wanting to make risky decisions it's a it's it's a it's an internal fear being projected. But when you realize that and you realize that that fear for you is not based on anything, it's not a based on they don't believe you can do something. It's not based on anything other than just an internal fear that's being projected based on years of them having to live under that lens. And you start to make these decisions, you start to liberate them from their own fears. And I remember my dad like one random, I think it was in like March after I made the the shift and this was like March of 2017, I got this selfie from my dad, this random ass selfie where he was on a kayak and um, or he was out on the water. I didn't even see the kayak. He was just on the water. He was wearing a life jacket. He had like electronics in his ears and he never takes selfies. So I was freaking out. <laughs> I was like, dad, what the hell are you doing? Like what is going on right now? And he sent me a text after he sent the selfie and he's like, Raj, I've been wanting to go kayaking for the last 18 years, and I never did. Um, I'm so proud of you, and I'm and I'm excited for what you're doing and what you're going to do. God, that must have been an amazing was, moment for you. That was like, I mean, life changing, man. I mean, yeah. you know, because at this point, like, my dad had, like, you could see it. Like now, my dad lives so intentionally. Like, I mean. Like my parents both are just seizing life and I see like 
So you just you never know the impact you're going to have on the people around you when you decide to take complete ownership of your life. Yeah. When you start yeah. to live courageously and when you start to just be and, and when you start to make decisions and and you win in the face of those decisions, I, man, you just shine so much light for the people around you. And that has certainly been the case with my parents. And so um, for anyone listening, I mean, if you're in that place where you feel like your parents are judging you or you feel like you know, like your parents want one thing for you, but your heart tells you you want something else. You can have both. I'm a prime example. Like I started a company on the side while I worked full time. You can start that blog. You can take those classes. You can do those things on the side and just start until you have the courage to do more. Mm-hmm. But I think the hardest thing is just starting. Yeah, I think everyone has step. the power to do that. Yep. Yeah, that man. I just have this vision in my mind of you getting that text from your dad on the kayak and you just like that that's just probably a super super inspirational moment man. I love that. I really love that. Um cool. So I you know, I want to jump into some of our rapid fire questions and these are questions yeah. that um you know, we've asked all of our, our our guests. We've got some really really cool answers for um so I'd love to get yeah. your perspective uh So first question for you Raj is um you know and, and and this can be a a gift or, or a book or or anything in your in 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 your mind. Is there a purchase of a hundred dollars or less that has really improved your life? Let's say in the last six months that you can think of. Uh, I'm a pretty minimalist guy, um, so like purchases, like I usually just make more purchases of things I like, and I usually <laughs> okay, gift those. Okay, that could be it. Um, so I don't know if I've made these purchases in the last six months, but my favorite things that I love, so I'm a huge journaler. Like I, I, I journal every day. It's my it's my passion. I just love it. Um, and I use a day planner actually, which was started by a, a friend of mine. Um, he's got a company called Best Self Co. And they make these amazing 13-week planners that I live by. And um, so that, and I have this like, I just bought this new stationary set that I'm freaking amped about. Like it's really <laughs> weird. I'm telling you, man. Like I think it's like Stabilo is the stationary set. You can get them on Amazon. They're like these thin point markers, and they come in 60 colors, and you can write and draw and all that stuff. And so the combination of the journal, the self journal, yeah, and the, those markers have been like pretty a pretty awesome combo for me. Um. I guess a, a thing, another gift I really love, and I'm not even tooting my own horn. I actually really love our like my manual coffee grinder. So every morning I take seven to ten minutes to make a cup of coffee. Yeah. And yeah. like I invest in really good coffee equipment. Like my grinder's a part of it, and like I just like it's like starts my day, man. Like it takes me like three to four minutes to grind my coffee. Like my day doesn't start until I have that experience with myself. Um, <laughs> it's like you run so, a coffee company or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like I it's like I eat my own medicine or something like that. But no, I mean, so those two things, I think they're very simple. But um, you know, I think the the most the biggest things in life are the things that we can take and add intention to. And yeah. journaling and my coffee ritual are two things that I add a lot of intention to, and I like spending money on those things. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and for every listening, we'll uh, we'll include those links uh, in, in in the show notes so you guys can check that out and get on that 13 week schedule or or, uh, or uh, you know get uh, get the stationery that Raj swears by. Um, cool. So the second question I have for you, Raj, is um, is there someone who's an entrepreneur or, um, or someone that you look up to who's South Asian in particular? 
who uh, who you think of that is someone that you look up to and or someone that you you think of as is successful? Is there someone that comes to mind? Mm-hmm. South Asian. Hmm. Um. As far as South Asians go, um, I would honestly, and this sounds super cliche, but I look up to my dad a lot. Yep. Um, and why? Uh, I mean, man, he, he's such a giver. Um, you know, he does everything for everyone else. Selfless. Um, puts the team on his back. He's incredibly hardworking, tenacious, a role model, um, loving, misunderstood. Like in so many ways, he's just such a brilliant man. And, um, I just, I love him to death, and I just, I mean, I'm very grateful for his influence in my life, and I'm very grateful that I've had a father figure like him in my life to look up to and, and really idolize as the man that I want to be, and um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I, that's great, man. I Having having influences like that from your parents, man, I, I can attest to that, too, is just... It's life changing, right? You don't yeah. know how good it is till you you've seen someone who has not had that kind of experience, and you just, as you said, you're just grateful to have uh, the parents or your the you know the father figure that you had, man. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, cool. So the the last few questions I have, Raj, is is about entrepreneurship, and I'm sure yeah. there's a ton of people listening who, as you said, have that idea or have something that they're passionate about or they have their something that's interested in. So what what's like the worst piece of advice that you've heard about entrepreneurship and the best piece that you can give to an up-and-coming South Asian who wants to start their own thing? This one's easy. The idea doesn't mean anything. Um, it's about action. Yep. Um, ideas are a dime in a dozen. Like you go for a run, you can come up with 10 ideas if you actually intentionally sit down and try coming up with an idea every day, you would come up with like 50 in a month. And I think that it's just what's lacking is just taking the step. And so for me, like, you know, I started off with an idea like, oh, I want to get into breweries and a passion. And I followed a passion, but I was blinded because of that passion. So when I when first starting out, I actually like to suggest people learn business like Learn how to evaluate product market fit. Like learn how to um, learn how to find pains that need fixing. Don't go in with an idea that you came up with in your in your sleep. Um, go in and 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 teach yourself business. Like my those courses that I bought in the beginning, those were my MBAs, man. Like those are like the, like I literally I paid for my own self taught MBA. I paid for courses that allowed me to teach myself marketing, mm-hmm. that taught me that taught me how to buy products online, that taught me how to source stuff, that taught me how to do Facebook advertising, that taught me how to like it just like I just started learning how to do things. So uh, for anybody starting out in entrepreneurship, don't necessarily fall in love with this idea of being a startup founder. Fall in love with the idea of like trading value for money like and that can be done in any way that can be done through you consulting that can be done through you selling products that can be done through anything like just teach yourself entrepreneurship entrepreneurship is really about exchanging value for money Mm -hmm. and when you really think about the fundamental core 
that takes the importance of the idea away. You don't need an idea to start. You need to fall in love with what entrepreneurship is and teach yourself that. And and that's the best way to learn. And when you teach yourself entrepreneurship and you actually try things and you go into it and you buy a course and you try like try things online and you do different things, you're going to learn what you like and you don't like. You're going to learn what you're good at when you're not good at. And, you know, Java Press for me, literally, man, I've learned what I like and don't like in the last three years. My next business is not going to be the same as Java Press. It's going to be a better business. And that business might actually be the one that ends up being that startup that raises a ton of money and changes the world and all that good stuff. Or maybe it might not. Maybe it might just be continuing to build businesses that are fixing problems. But going in with the idea of wanting to be a startup founder and on this huge idea and this vision, I think that I, I think that's where people get tripped and, and, and they get trapped. Um, I think just starting to exchange value for money is, is just just get started. Yeah. Just take action. And, and um, I, I want to just ask you a very specific tactile question because I'm sure people yeah. are like, yes, I, I'm with you, Raj. I, I, I'm 100% behind you. I hear what you're saying. Okay, what resources do you recommend to learn business or learn marketing? I know you mentioned yeah. a few courses, but anything you can speak to, top three things that you would say, go do this if you want to learn business, one, two, three. Yeah. Um, man, I wish I had a list put together. Um, I mean – or you, uh, can, you, you can, can email it to me after I can. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys can either you can I, I can email them to you, or if you guys want to get in touch with me, that's fine too. But I mean, either way, the best book. So I started off reading the Four Hour Workweek. Yep. That book I would highly recommend everybody who wants to get into entrepreneurship to just read, um, because he he kind of talks about like his own version of like online marketing and what he does. Um, I think that there's a number of courses out there that you can buy, whether it's to start a physical product business or, I mean, I'm sure people are inundated with Facebook ads of people selling them the dream. Like there's so much information out there on, on how to do that. Um, I like the idea of starting a product based business. So like when you start a product based business, like, uh, you know, launching a product on Amazon or like, you know, sourcing a product from, from Odyssey's or Kickstarter or something like that, like creating a product I think that's probably the best route to learn business because you have to learn manufacturing. You have mm -hmm. to learn product sourcing. You have to learn quoting. You have to learn design. You have to learn uh, you know, branding. You have to learn copywriting and, and sales writing. And you have to learn how to create compelling videos. You have to learn – you have to touch so many different parts of business that I think it's the best place to start Sure, is to start like a product-based business. Um, and you know, that, that's how I would start. But then again, it also depends on what you want, man. I mean, like I know so many guys that are crushing it with real estate, like they buy courses on real estate. Um, and, and it depends on where you're, where you're at. Like it depends on how much money you have to get started, right? Like what's your budget? Like if you have a pretty limited budget, getting started in real estate is going to be hard. Um, or like if that's, if you want to get started in real estate, maybe go get your real estate license. And and go work for a broker. Learn how it is to structure deals, buy deals, like work off of a commission, like make some extra money on the side, like whatever it is, like build your skills. Um, I think the biggest thing is just that you're the biggest horse you can bet on. Mm -hmm. And um, every dollar you invest in yourself now will compound a thousand X later. I actually started, stopped 
or not started. I, I stopped maxing out my 401k when I started business and I started an LLC and I started writing it off and investing everything in myself. And that has had an exponential return versus the 7% return that my 401k was having. Yeah. And so like, I just think investing in yourself starting. So like, if you want to learn digital marketing and if you want to become a well-rounded entrepreneur, I think that learning to, or starting a product-based business is a great way to start. If you want to learn sales or if you want to learn like real estate or anything like that, like a service-based consulting-based business, I would do something like become a real estate agent or learn Facebook ads and then find local businesses to do Facebook ads for or learn Google. Like you can learn how to do those things and then provide a service to someone else or you can start your own brand, your own product and then kind of have to learn a little bit of everything. So you can either specialize or learn a lot of different stuff. And I think those are the fastest ways to get started in entrepreneurship. I love it, man. That is amazing pieces of advice. Thank you. And I'm sure our listeners will are probably writing furiously if they're listening to this and <laughs> and, and getting getting a lot of value out of it. Um, but Raj, I wanna I wanna I wanna say this, man. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Any final asks that you want to share before we before we sign off? Oh, asks. Oh man. I mean, I I did this for you, man. I mean, you're 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 a friend, and I'm just I'm grateful to have to be here and to be catching up with you. Um, if you guys are interested, check out the podcast. It's it's called Stay Grounded. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, all over the place. Um, I I have a a, a weekly newsletter also. Um, that I send out. You which can is amazing, by the way. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, you can go to rajana.com and sign up, and um, and you get uh, weekly emails from me. Um, if you're interested in Java Press, you know, holidays are coming around. We make great Christmas gifts. You guys can go to javapress.com and, and check stuff out there. We're on Amazon too. But uh, honestly, guys, if, if um, honestly, if I have one ask, if you listen, if you're listening to this podcast episode, that means that um, you're interested in some aspect of personal growth. Um, and I would just encourage you to just take action. Um, you know, a lot of people, they listen to amazing episodes and they're really inspired and then um, the inspiration goes away because they're not putting that stuff into fruition. So if there's anything I can ask, it's just, um, if there's anything that's been helpful from, from this conversation, then, um, act on it and, uh, and let me know how it goes. Cause I always love hearing, um, success stories. So perfect. And where can people get in touch with you if they want to, I know you mentioned the state grounded podcast and the Java press coffee, but if the people want to get in touch and let, let you know how things are going, what's the best way? Uh, so the best email, um, I only have one email on my site right now. I don't even have Raj at, Ra- as, at com, which is like weird. I think I need to fix that. But like the only email I have for my site is hello at com. I read every email. Um, so just if you want to get in touch with me, if you have questions, just send me an email at hello at rajana.com and, um, and I'll be able to like get back to you. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably the, the, the fastest way Perfect. to get in touch with me. Perfect. Well, it, we'll I'm also on social though. So. And I'm very active on social media, so like you can you can follow me on Instagram, uh, and uh, actually Instagram is probably the, the the fastest that I respond to. So, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram too, and, and you can get in touch with me there as well. Awesome, yeah, we'll have all those links uh, on our on our site so people can get in touch and uh, tell them how how much action they've taken the next few weeks. <laughs> awesome, man. Cool. All right, Raj, thank you so much for being on, man. We really appreciate it. Of course, brother. Cheers. Cheers. 
Hey guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.